When was the last time you felt like you were totally misunderstood or someone really mistook you for something you are not? Did you consider if there was anything you presented in the situation that may have contributed to that misrepresentation? The good news is it's probably an easy fix. In today's episode, Neil and I are unpacking one of our all-time favorite sayings, everything communicates. Today's episode is inspired by our friend Spencer Tackert, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, and one of his many famous sayings, which is... Everything communicates. Everything communicates. It's one of our favorite things. And what's funny is the reason why this came to mind is the other day on Spence's Instagram stories, he was having people vote whether they liked his like long curly hair and long beard grown out version of him or he was in India for a few weeks and he was like growing his hair out, growing his beard out. And then he met up with his wife, Katie, in Europe and she made him shave his face and cut his hair and he looked clean cut and clean shaven and he said which look do you like better and I responded to that by saying quote everything communicates unquote Spencer Taggart and I said P.S. I quote you on this all the time and anyway he we had a good laugh about it but it really is so true and Neil and I talk about this all the time with not only how people dress or what their grooming is, but also how they act, how they handle situations. It is so true that everything communicates. And when you start thinking in those terms, you start seeing it everywhere in relationships and in how people behave and how they handle situations. It's just really interesting. I remember my dad telling me that you can learn a lot about a person by how they treat someone who can do nothing for them. You know, someone who, okay, I guess like this example, they're doing something for you, but say you're at a restaurant and the server is just coming to you and saying, hey, here's the menu today. You can tell so much by if a person looks up and gives them eye contact and treats them like a person, or if they just stare at the menu and say, I'll have this. It says a lot. It's one of those many instances of everything communicates. But what do you think of when you think of this Spencer Taggart quotation? First off, I love Spence. (laughs) He's one of my favorite human beings. He's hilarious. But no, I think when he talked about it, he kind of gave us a full breakdown and we went like in depth to what that actually means. The first thing that usually comes to, to mind for me is appearance. So like, okay, what is my appearance communicating? And that it takes me back to when I was a missionary for the church, our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like, there's a handbook. There's this little handbook that you have that you read every morning. That's kind of like the guidelines and the Wait, rules. Wait, you read it every morning? Yeah. For real? A morning study. How did I not know that? Yeah. So we'd read, like, get up, you get up at 6.30 in the morning, get ready, and then you have a study together with your, your they call them your companion, the scriptures. And then as part of that, you would read this little handbook. And I think it's just to keep your mind fresh with the rules, the guidelines of of the mission. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. I thought it was like you read it once when you get to the mission, and then if there's ever a question, you like go back to the rule book. No, we'd read it every morning. Wow. And it was funny. We'd always joke about it or like joke about different rules or whatever or quote them. But one that stuck out to me is 
there's a line that said, how you look should strengthen what you say. And so oh. as we're out and about, we're talking about Jesus Christ, we're sharing the gospel. It kind of was a, a way of looking at it like, okay, is my appearance in line with that message? Would people kind of gather that? Wait, that was so good. Say it again. How, how you how- look should strengthen what you say. That's so good. So it was, it was in like the dress and grooming section of mm. the, of the manual. But I thought a lot about that. And I, and I think after I got home from my mission, I kind of tried to live, still live by that to a large degree of like, okay, I feel like I've grasped and developed my understanding of the gospel and, and testimony of Jesus Christ. Like I want to try and, and be, try and live that. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously it wasn't always perfect at that or, or at different things, but that's something that always comes to mind just when I think of everything communicates. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I feel like a lot of times looking at my job and trying to, oh my gosh, say it one more time because it's so good. How you look should strengthen what you say. Okay. So when I think about my job as a fashion blogger or a beauty blogger, I think there it does make a big difference how I present myself when I'm sharing these products with people. And I think sometimes it's relatable and probably makes me feel like more of a real person when I'm not done up every time I put my face on Instagram. And I do that on purpose to just show like, hey, this is real authentic me in this moment. I don't take time to always put on a full face of makeup before I go on here. But I do think that presenting myself in a certain way, not only communicate something to the audience, but it almost just communicates something to myself too, of like, this is who I am. I feel confident. I took the time to get ready. I feel like I'm presenting my best self. It makes a difference, not just to the people who are seeing me, but also for myself and my own confidence in what I'm saying. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I think so. And I, and I, that's why it makes sense for me, like as a missionary, you have a certain dress, like you have the the white shirt and the tie and the slacks and, and church or whatever. We, we dress nicer. I think you do, at least for me, I feel different when I'm in like a suit or shirt and tie or whatever. And I think there's a, there's a degree of like, I don't know, quiet dignity or professionalism. You're smiling at me. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, wondering why you're smiling. Because I'm envisioning our children and thinking, I kind of wish that would translate a little more with them because they sometimes act still like wild animals while we're at church. Well, you're a kid. You like clothes yeah. or no clothes, like <laughs> nice clothes or church clothes or, or not. They're out just running amok. But. Well, when we started talking about this topic, you had something specifically come to mind that you are currently in the midst of right now with changing your appearance. Do you want to talk about it? Yes, sure. So when, so I had a brother that died by suicide when I was 13, I think 12 or 13. I can't remember exactly. You were 12 turning 13. 12 12 turning 13. There we go. Thank you. It was just a really whole kind of traumatic situation, a traumatic story. And I was really close with this, this brother. And so it was a tough time for me. It took a long time to kind of sort out, sort through, and really affected me for years. And still, in, to some degree, has, has an effect on me, but now a little bit for the better. But during that time, I just didn't really know how to deal with it. So my, my brother, he was really kind of artistic. He liked to draw things and had like special lettering that he would use. And 
my way of kind of dealing with grief and that loss was I'm like, well, I'm going to get a tattoo of his name on my back and kind of some lettering that's similar to what he used to draw. At the time, it made sense in my mind. I'm like, well, I just, this is what I want to do to to memorialize my brother, you know, and it, it felt like in my teenage mind, like this is what I want to do. At the same time, during that time, this was like late 90s, early 2000s, the prophet of our church was Gordon B. Hinckley. So Gordon B. Hinckley, amazing. I love President Hinckley. Still to this day, his voice, like whenever I hear it, it mm-hmm. just brings back so many, like, so many cool memories and like the the spirit, the feeling that I that I feel when I hear his voice or read some of his quotes. But one thing that he talked a lot about is he he never he wouldn't pull punches. He would, he would just be super direct. And, you know, when he was speaking to the youth or in our general conferences where he addresses the whole church, one of the things he talked about was tattoos. Mm -hmm. So he was really direct and, and did not mince words about tattoos, basically like no tattoos. Right. I kind of, in my mind, I took that. I'm like, well, my situation, this is what I'm going to choose to do. Mine's different. It's not, I'm not getting this because it like necessarily looks a certain way or looks cool or whatever. I'm getting it for, to memorialize my brother in the way that I think will be most helpful or whatever. So I, so I got it. So I got one, his name on my back and and some letters. And I kind of always had that, but I, I always felt a little like I'm not a tattoo guy. Like I never really wanted one other than that for like the way that they look. But I remembered President Hinckley was so specific about not getting tattoos and about why. Caught the comparison of like, okay, your temple, your body's a temple, keeping that clean and not defacing that. And that always stuck with me in my mind. And I always was worried a little bit, like after I got home from my mission, if I was in a situation where I was like swimming in a pool or I was at like a church function and it was like a pool function or something like that. I was always a little bit kind of like, man, I wonder how people are viewing me. And and I was like, whatever. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. Like, I know where my testimony's at, whatever. So I never really thought of getting it removed until we were in the temple just this past year. We go to the, try and go to the temple every week. And out of the blue, I just had an impression, just like, hey, you should get your tattoo removed. I'm like, okay, that's super random. Mm-hmm. Okay. You had you know? talked about in the past where I'd, you're like, I had visited it. Uh, I'd had I'm open to it. And yeah. I always told you, I don't care. That's your deal. Like, that's your body, not mine. And I'll support you either way. But it was never a big deal to you either way. Like, you'd bring it up occasionally, you know, every few years, but it was never like a, yeah, like I, I really want to do that. Eventually you were kind of just like, mm, yeah, maybe someday. I was like, uh, I don't know. Like yeah. I thought about, I'm like with my kids, is that going to make them want to get tattoos and, and mm-hmm. kind of do I, do I want to inspire that or how do I feel about it? I'd thought about it, but I'd never really, I'm like, you know what, whatever it's, it's fine. But then that impression came and I'm like, okay, if you're asking me to do it, yes. I, I absolutely will start the process. And I kind of shelved it. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then we went to the temple again. And then it was like, again, it was like, you need to get your tattoo removed. And I was like, okay. 
<laughs> and then like, I think it came even again on another trip and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get the wheels in motion. So you, Corinne, jumped on Instagram and asked her followers, you're like, hey, what's going to work best? What do you guys and suggest? And I started getting targeted by t- tattoo, tattoo removal, removal places. And so I identified a, a place that does it and, and got the right information. And so I'm, I've gotten like two treatments in and it's starting to fade. And P.S. If you're in Orange County and you want to know who that is, send me a DM or send Neil an email. They've been awesome. But yeah, keep going. They've been, they've been great. But yeah, just starting that process and ultimately it was it was receiving that impression. But at the same time, there is a part of it for me personally, like it's a very personal decision, very personal thing, like what you do and do not present with when it comes to your body, like that is a very, you're kind of the guardian of that. But for me, there was an element of, man, it just doesn't match me. Like Mm, internally, internally who I am at the core, like it, it, I think it could be taken the wrong way. And where you're at too at this point. I'm in in a different place now than I was like like I've I've come a long way. Not that I was like overly just crazy and out of control or anything or or that 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 even suggests that in any way. But but I think that I just feel very differently Mm -hmm. now. Communicating what that potentially could communicate for a member of the church who grew up in that President Hinckley era. Oh yeah, he raised us. He was like our yeah, he was our prophet if you grew up in the 19 mid 1980s to late 1990s, that was your childhood like us. Yeah, hearing that from my childhood for me personally it was like, okay, I kind of struggled with that, but ultimately receiving the revelation of like, hey, let's let's get this removed. I'm like, okay. Say no more. That aligns with me and kind of where I'm at and what I feel for for myself. That's kind of been my process, been my journey, I guess. And as a side note, does it hurt more to get it removed or to get it done? It feels about the same as getting it done. It's like getting a tattoo with a really significant sunburn at the same time. So it it does hurt. It depends on how hard they go on it. But it's it's like multiple times. Like mm-hmm. you go in, I'm going in right now every six weeks. Yeah. So it's like getting that done like every times. six weeks. And the estimate is like 10 times. Yeah. So imagine it's like a however many tattoos you have, it's like a one to 10 ratio. It's like getting 10 tattoos for your one tattoo to get it removed and going through the healing process in between. And that's why you have to wait is because the, the skin's got to heal over and then it's got to, your body's got to break up the ink and, and get rid of it. Well, so it's I wanted, a lot easier yeah. to just not get one in the first place if that's a question. <laughs> yeah. But. And I also want to say like, again, I meant it when I said to Neil forever ago, like, I don't care. It's your body. Like that's your choice. That's how we feel too about everyone. It's not like we're like, super judgmental tattoo hater people or anything like that. It's, I really believe that's totally a personal decision and a choice that is yours and yours alone. And nobody else has to, it's similar to when people say like, well, what should I do about this person that I'm going to marry? And maybe like so-and-so doesn't approve of them or whatever. And I'm like, you're, you're the one that has to wake up next to them every day for the rest of your life. And with a tattoo, like you're the one that has to live with that. And I just feel like going back to the original point of everything communicates, 
to me, it's less about like, well, what is that? Like, are you going to look good? Or is this a look you're going to want to want forever? Or Which is, styles is this... change, by the way. Yep. I will say that with my tattoo. Like, meanings will change depending on times. With mine specifically, that was one thing that was like kind of frustrating is I'm like, oh my gosh, like now it looks this way or could be interpreted like this. And it was like, okay, I absolutely don't want this to have like a gang relation or it looks, it looked a little bit like that. It like, kind of, it kind of yeah. does. And I'm like, oh man, like uh, that's why I had his full name kind of written out because I'm like, oh, like this could be interpreted as like a, like a gang affiliation. <laughs> that's what I thought when I first so, saw it, I was like, what does that I'm mean? Like, uh, you know, so there, there is that element of like, styles change mm -hmm. and interpretations and meanings change and unfortunately like tattoos are tough to change along with that i guess i would if one of my kids came to me today and said mom i want to get a tattoo i would be less concerned about like fearing them out of you might not want that forever and more like take a really serious internal look at like is this what you're going to want to communicate for the rest of your life, potentially. Like, is this something that you're going to want forever? And that's what I'm more worried about than like, does this make you a good person or a bad person? Or how are people going to judge you? Because really the, the thing that matters is how you feel about yourself and your connection with God and your validation there. Not like, what does everybody else think? I mean, that's what it comes down to is, is for sure yourself and, and with God and what what you're comfortable with and that's kind of where it's been like the guiding principle of this process for me going back to everything communicates i think if we Take it back to your example of whatever you're trying to accomplish or achieve in life is your appearance and the way you're presenting yourself aligning with who you're trying to be. I just think that sometimes it's kind of funny where you'll look at someone and be like, oh, I maybe they are something that you didn't expect because of the way they present themselves. And then you have to wonder like, well, well, what is their motivation to present themselves this way? And that could be like someone who appears really stuffy and then you get to know them and they actually are really lighthearted or it, it isn't just like a one mold fits all. But I do think it's interesting that whatever you're trying to accomplish has to match what you're presenting. Like if you went to an in and out and then you walked in and they were suddenly serving like $100 steaks, you would be like, what the heck? This was <laughs> like, I walked in and was expecting $5 cheeseburgers. What's happening here? So I think that whatever you want to accomplish in life, and I think that most of us have those guiding principles internally to know like, hey, this is, this is what's most important to me. Thinking about that is probably going to help you to say like, do I really want to communicate this to others? And is that taking me in the direction that I want to go in? Absolutely. And I think the first thing that comes to mind is appearance, but also a lot of it too is that, that I, the one that's hard for me is like 
actions mm-hmm. or different times you you make mistakes in human interactions or in talk in relationships. Yep. I think, well, I mean, in our relationship, I make those mistakes all the time. It's like I do too. being like sloppy with a gift or like late for something or like being not late, setting actually. up for a date, like date night or not prioritizing that. Like, what does it communicate? Well, you know? but being late is a great one because my parents taught me that when you are late, what you communicate is my time is more important than your time. And you yeah. think about that if you're honest with yourself. If you're going to meet up with somebody where you're like, gosh, they are so busy and they're taking time out of their busy schedule. And for whatever reason, you feel like their time is on a higher hierarchy than yours. Maybe you're coming in with more of an ask and they're going to come in with more of a give. Most of the time, you're not going to be late for something like that. But if you feel like maybe you're on an equal plane or you feel like your time is worth more than someone else's, you might be more inclined to show up late. And then I think, and and that's not right. I'm just saying, I think that's human nature. And then I think also sometimes people get caught up or they're not being responsible. Then they show up late and they don't mean to, but they do communicate that message of my time is more important than your time. And there's always exceptions to that, but I'm just talking about like when someone shows up late, you might not realize that that is the message that you're probably communicating, even if you don't mean to. And I think about like you with your Wednesday night meetings, you are rarely late or if you are running late, you're not happy about it because it's that important to you. And I can see by your actions how important it is to you to show up for those people and that that's like high, high, high on your priority list. That communicates to me where ARP is in your hierarchy of things that matter to you in life. And so I think it's one thing to consider. And I think that one of the best ways to have really good relationships and be happy is to try to eliminate that hierarchy of like, I'm above or below a person to just recognize that all people are people and to not think like, oh, my time is more important than this person's or vice versa, because we're all just people. People are people. And if you can treat everyone the way you would want to be treated, you're always going to go right. There's no discrepancy there. Yeah. And I think it takes being intentional, especially when it comes to relationships. I just finished the the five love languages. Oh. Somebody close to me recommended that. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Much needed. But it's super interesting to just see like how important it is in a relationship, like in a marital relationship to communicate in a way that a person understands, like in their language. But it takes what I'm seeing and finding is like, you have to be super intentional about it. Mm -hmm. Like it has to be communicated on purpose yeah, in order for it to, to really work. I think that's one of the things that, one of the cool ways that you can build a relationship is, is by being intentional about what you're communicating totally and not being haphazard about it. So that's like one of the solution things that I'm trying to implement and get better at. You'll probably attest to this. You're like, it's, it's okay. You're doing okay. No, but I I'm, think you're doing amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to, but yeah, it's, it's along the lines of communication. It's like, just made me realize how intentional you have to be, you know, relationship communication with what you're communicating. Otherwise you're, I'm probably not communicating good things if I'm not being intentional about it. It's kind of like what's not happening 
is probably speaking mm-hmm. louder than what I think is happening in the relationship. Yeah. I just had two different, totally different interactions come to mind. And one of them was when I went on a date with one of my friends who just stayed a friend, like we were friends. Then he asked me out on a date and I was like, so pretty much you friend zoned. Well, he was already friend zoned, but I was like, okay, I'll go on a date with you. And he told me years later, I knew from the moment you opened the door when you were brushing your teeth, when you opened the door that like you were not, this was not going to go anywhere. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you wouldn't have done That's that amazing. if you were into me. If you thought there was a chance, if I knew there was a chance, you wouldn't have done that. And I was like, gosh, I don't even remember that I opened the door and I was brushing my teeth. He was like, you were. And I remember. <laughs> but that was one of those everything communicates where he he picked up on my nonverbal cue of, dude, we're just friends. Like, yeah, I'll go on a date with you. but you're going to stay in the friend zone. <laughs> How to friend zone somebody. Brush your teeth when they come to pick you up. Well, I just... It's like how to lose a guy in 10 days. I just felt so maneuver. comfortable with him that I was like, oh, he's here. And I was finishing brushing up, brushing my teeth and opened the door. Like, hey, come on in, you know. Anyway, but he was right. He was right. He detected where my heart was at. was like, he's just a friend. A different scenario, though, that I just thought of was when we were at the MW3 conference recently. And my former boss, Todd Peterson, who is the CEO of Vivint, was there. And there were all these kids that have sold for Vivint there at that conference. And he was just mobbed, mobbed to the point where I was waiting to ask him a question. I actually just wanted to see if he would be on my podcast. And so he said he would. We haven't gotten that nailed down yet, but he's so awesome that he was like, yeah, I'm basically retired now. I've got all the time in the world. So anytime. What I noticed about the way Todd interacted was that he was one-on-one with one person and it didn't matter that there were 50 other people lined up to talk to him. He was with the one and he was so focused in on what they were saying. He wasn't distracted. It wasn't like every 10 seconds his eyes were diverted when somebody else walked by who was maybe more important. He just was dead on with the one and the way he interacted with each person, communicated to all of them, you're the most important person in the room right now. And not very many people do that well, but he did it really well. And I think a lot of really strong, really effective leaders treat people like that. They are with the one. Yeah. That guy is super impressive. And he did that with me one time. I mean, I think we were at a event when you were working with Vivint. We were at an event at his house and there's like hundreds of people there. It's a birthday party, I think, for one of his kids and like the entire neighborhood plus a bunch of, I mean, probably like three, four hundred people there. And he singled me out. I was kind of standing by myself and he's like, hey, you're Corinne's husband, right? And he sat and talked to me for like 15 minutes, like 20 minutes, 100 percent all in. And you're not you know, like some kid that's going to go hustle it hard yeah, for him I, he in had summer no, sales. I had nothing to give him at all. Yeah. He was just being himself and just being like, and there's like some high level people like Steve Young was there, you know, like some, in other situations, a lot of people would be like, it wouldn't surprise me to be like, oh yeah, of course you're going to go talk to Steve Young, you know? But that really was impressive. And I saw that again at MW3. I saw the same thing. I'm like, man, what a, what a just awesome person. I admired that. I think another way that everything communicates is in the way people can trust us when we say in your 
actions speak louder than words. I think that when we do what we say we're going to do, it's not just that we did that thing, but that we built trust with someone that says, when I ask this person to do this or when they commit to it, they're going to do it. There just are certain people in your life and in mine and, you know, throughout life that you meet where you're like, that person never commits to something they're not going to do. Like when they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. You can take it to the bank. I think sometimes with small interactions, we think they're not that big of a deal, but what they communicate to someone else about how much they can trust us is that is the currency of relationships in life, right? Is trust. And I think that's another thing to just remember and consider that keeping your word and doing what you say you'll do, even if it's a small thing, with it, with the idea of everything communicates, what you're communicating isn't just, yeah, I did that one small thing, but you can count on me for anything. Yeah. And it builds, you're either building or kind of tearing down, depending on how that process is going. So this is something that I'm not, like, I'm kind of like, so oblivious so much of the time. And I've gotten better, I think, because being married to you, like this is a strength that you have. And like, I think your family's really good at this, like maneuvering kind of that, navigating the communication verbally, non-verbally with other people in relationships. And I think a lot of times I just make a lot of mistakes with it and I walk away from interactions and I'm like, man, I'm such an idiot. I probably made him feel like this or made him think that or... Everybody has those kind of interactions. <laughs> like, got a church and I'm like, man, I I probably am coming off like in such a way that I'm like, don't want to be coming off to no, people. No, I, I really think... And so I'm trying to get better at no, it. No, I think people don't talk about it, but I think everybody walks away and replays interactions and goes, dang, I didn't, that was so I didn't mean to say it that way. Why like, did I they say probably that? think I'm such a jerk. I think that's super common. So I don't know if I've, if I've made you feel like that in some interaction and you're listening to this, I'm sorry. If you made them feel like that, they're probably not listening to this. (laughs) But, but I do think if you're listening to this going, dang, that happened to me three days ago or yesterday or this morning, that's so common. That's human nature. We're all super flawed and just trying to get better. My last point with this though, that I think is an important one because of that, that we're all trying to get better and we all have conflict and we all need conflict resolution in our lives is to keep in mind everything communicates when you're resolving conflict with others and when you're in the midst of conflict that everything verbally, non-verbally, I mean, I I looked up the statistics and it's anywhere from 70 to 93%, depending on which study you look at and which expert you ask, but so much of what we do is nonverbal. And I would go as far to say so much of it isn't just like verbal or nonverbal in that in the heat of the moment, but also our actions after the fact. And I think that this idea of everything communicates is so powerful with conflict too. And I think of a conflict that I had a couple years ago that I felt really bad about, even though when I I dissected it over and over and over again, and I kept talking to Neil about like, is there anything I could do or should have done or anything I need to make amends for? And I kept coming back to no, but it just still felt like crap that I had had this conflict with someone else. So the only thing I could think of doing, I, I was praying about it a lot and trying to ask God, like, what can I do, even though I I don't know that there's anything that I can make amends for or whatever. And the one thing I thought of was cinnamon rolls. 
And I was like, well, everybody loves cinnamon rolls. So I dropped cinnamon rolls off to this person. And I don't know if it made a difference. I don't know if they felt anything after I did. I don't know if that changed their perception of me. But I wanted to communicate the right thing, which was even though we had a difference of opinion on how something went down, I love you. And here's here's a physical evidence of uh, like my little peace offering. Look, these things take forever to make. Yeah, they do. Hopefully this conveys how much love I have for you. They do. It's not just like a, 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 a like even a like cookies. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind is that everything communicates even in your trying to resolve conflict or make amends. You know, you say that a lot. You're like a living amends is more about how you show someone that you're going to live versus your big talk about how sorry you are. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, and a lot of times that's talked a lot about in recovery or there's a Maxwell, Elder Maxwell from our church quote that's quoted in the manual that talks about like sometimes or in some situations you just can't make a make restitution. It's not like you stole $10 and you give $10 back. It's like in certain situations you can't do that. But a subsequent example of righteousness or striving to do the right thing or a living amends is the way that you can you can make that type of a a gesture that that's going to mean more than just merely I mean I mean I think in recovery and and in, in my addiction I just think it got to a point especially in our relationship where it was like I'm sorry didn't really mean anything I'm like I'll say it as a formality and I'm just yeah sorry but it's like I'm like, that doesn't just, that just is to the point where it doesn't mean anything anymore because you burned it down so many times and like there's so much pain and so much hurt there. It's, it's just not even a drop in the bucket in trying to make an amends with somebody. So, but it's like, man, if I can just be sober and be pointed in the right direction and striving to do good things that eventually those actions will speak louder than words and changes in my life for the better will will speak for themselves. The ARP manual talks a little bit about that. There's a Chinese proverb that says, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So in relation to what we talked about today, think about who you want to become. Think about who you feel like you truly are on the inside and how you, if you've ever felt like you were misunderstood or people are taking you for something different, ask yourself if how you're presenting matches who you are inside and then maybe make some adjustments if you feel like that's the right thing for you. But just in your interactions, in your appearance, in your the way that you present yourself in word and in deed, just remember, everything communicates. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.